Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out, John O'White, or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult and, and I just wanna find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Rangan Venkatraman, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Resilience. Welcome to the podcast, Rangan. Thank you. I'm really pleased to be here. Yeah, I've been looking forward to chatting with you. First of all, can you tell our listeners uh, about resilience? And I know this sometimes sounds like an obvious question, but what do you do as CEO? So first, uh, on resilience, resilience is a a group of companies. Um, We essentially, resilience focuses on AI and data science to be the primary focus areas. Um, It also has a subsidiary brand called Pinocle, which focuses on cybersecurity, and then another subsidiary called Curious, which is actually uh, an area where uh, we're just newly dabbling into. This is going to be in the focus area of education, and um, it focuses on tech education, among other things. And as a CEO, my job is to set the strategic direction. Um, you know, and I'll start with by defining what strategy is. Strategy is really defined in many different ways by the industry, and I define it as a choice. It's a choice of what you choose to do and what you choose not to do. And I think I'm focused even more on the not to do things. So every day we, I work tirelessly to make sure we eliminate clutter by actually allowing us to focus, which means that we try to say no to many things and say yes to those things that we can absolutely be insanely great at. The goal (laughs) of my position is to really define what those things are that allow us to actually direct our strengths to rather than sitting and working on our weaknesses. I think as a company, as individuals, we all have strengths and weaknesses. Even as we look at anything, I try to direct and maximize how we can apply our strengths because life is finite. And it's important to actually be in a position where you can sort of declutter and actually allow the focus to happen where it actually makes the most sense. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much for explaining that. And I particularly enjoyed your thought around strategy being so much around what you don't do. Um, I think that that's any for all of our listeners, if they were looking to just get one nugget from this conversation, there's probably a good one to go away and think about and say, if you feel like you've got a great strategy, if you want to take it to another level, then ask, are we are we clear enough on what we're not doing as well? You know, is there anything that we that we maybe are doing just for the sake of it? Um, because it kind of fits the strategy. Well, how do we get even clearer about what we're not going to do so that we can be super intentional and play to our strengths? I love that. Thank you. So let's jump into talking about you. And I want to ask about uh, going back to the beginning. So asking about your childhood and growing up, Rangan, um, if you think back to that season of your life, what were the moments or even themes from that season of your life that really shaped you into the person and the leader you are today? 
so it started, my journey started in India. I've been living in the United States for 30 years. Um, and uh, prior to that, my formative years came from my journey in India. Came from a fairly affluent background um, <clears throat> with my dad working as a, an executive in a, in a company which was multinational, uh, Dunlop at the time. And of course, you know, I had it going really well uh, up to a certain age, uh, say 15 years. When my dad passed away, he, you know, died when he was 47 years old. And of course, he played a very important key role in, you know, our first 15 years in terms of how he sort of set the tone in terms of how to be a leader in a company. We sort of watched him grow, uh, me and my siblings, and sort of my first very important role model that sort of set the tone. In, in a way, he set that tone for the next several years. Just to give you one small example, he would want us to speak English at home, which is not necessarily the most common thing in India to do, even though we were a British colony. Uh, you know, people typically resorted to their mother tongue and spoke the language at home and sporadically spoke English. And of course, India is generally good at it. But I think in our situation, the biggest difference is my father wanted us to think in English. And because he wanted us to think in English, we were in a position to make English our first language. And that, you know, was one infliction point. Second infliction point, love for learning. He used to give us encyclopedias. He wanted us to read it and make sure that he would discuss it with us in the process. So the love for learning is something that I really got out of him. Um, and that I think is, is, is probably the biggest gift we got from him. Then of course, my mom, you know, played a significant role after that. And, uh, the next biggest lottery ticket that we won was really with my mother, where, um, you know, her perpetual optimism, her, uh, you know, fun loving um, nature essentially allowed us to really exit the grief period of my father's demise very, very quickly. And of course, my mother was, you know, really, you know, freedom loving. She allowed us to make the choices that we wanted to make and allowed us to really go in that direction. <clears throat> she was never the mom that said, hey, you have to be this or that. She pretty much said, I trust you. You can you can be whatever you want to be and allowed us to dream bigger and believe that those dreams would actually happen. And that led to the first infliction point in allowing me to actually aim to come to the United States you know, on a scholarship, study here, etc. And then later, you know, these are just huge infliction points where you sort of, you know, move, grow up. I'd say I was fragile for the first 15 years. Then I moved into being robust because of the loss of my father and then the uh, need to actually step up and grow up and mature, you know, you know, probably way ahead of the age that I was in at that time. Then, you know, in the robust phase, of course, I came to the U.S., had to go through the trials and tribulations of, you know, going through visas and many other things to actually settle down in, a, in my first good job, which was the Intel Corporation. And then I moved to other companies, Deloitte, The Works, became an entrepreneur, things of the nature. And the next infliction point came when my son was diagnosed with autism, which, you know, was a rude shock, you know, as a parent that led to, you know, um, understanding how to navigate the complexity of autism. And of course, the next lottery ticket that I actually won there was my spouse, who really allowed uh, to declutter our life in a way that she allowed us to focus and allowed me to focus on what I did best, which was focusing on my job, to bring home the money that is needed to support all of these things. And that allowed me to become resilient, which is an extremely important infliction point. And after that, continue to move on to being an entrepreneur. We hit a, a snag in the beginning of 2016, where 
we, you know, just had to sort of reinvent ourselves as an entrepreneur. And that led me to become anti-fragile. And where I see anti-fragility being a very common theme there, where you basically come out much stronger. There's a saying, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I think that, you know, anti-fragility, you know, came because I had to move from being fragile to robust, robust to resilient, and that anti-fragility was a natural evolution of the next step. And of course, you know, you get hit by a hurricane, your house is gutted, but the new house that emerges, emerges to be something much better, bigger, stronger. And I think that's what I saw. And I became a person, you know, as a leader, having gone through those kinds of crises, essentially allowed me to see the world far different than I was able to see before that. And, and that's, you know, the set of, you know, stage for me to really become that leader. And I really believe the definition in my humble opinion of a leader is someone who essentially has, you know, an unwavering, you know, focus. And to be able to do that, you sort of need to go through, you know, those trials and tribulations. And I think it's those experiences that make you become who you should be. And that's really what happened in my life. Yeah, well, thank you so much for for sharing um, those those parts of your life with us. I think um, there's just, there, like you said, there's there's some lottery tickets in there, right, where you go, you, you were just so lucky to have um, such incredible parents and at the same time some real tragedy, losing your dad, um, some real challenge moving countries. Like I think I've never done that and I, I have so much respect for anyone who's literally moved their life to another um, country. I just think it's incredible. Um, let's, let's, uh, there's so many things I could ask you about. I think, um, I, I'll definitely be asking you to, to come back and do a follow-up episode <laughs> because I, I just have so many questions, but, um, instead of just focusing in on the entrepreneurship and leadership, which maybe we can, we can focus on another time. Um, to start with, I love what you shared about your parents. They sound, they sound like incredible people and the, and what you learned from your dad about what you learned from your father about a love for learning. Do you have any stories about your mom or your dad that popped to your mind that just really um, <laughs> represent their perspective on life or your dad's, the, the love for learning your dad had? Are there any specific stories that come to mind? I just think they sound like incredible people. Definitely. Um, I'd say love for learning comes, um, you know, with a beginner's mindset. And, um, you know, certain things that sort of developed in me, you know, started from that um, essential being. I think love for learning at the core of it taught, teaches you to actually be very humble because, you know, when you love learning, it's really about having that growth mindset where you're basically saying, you know what, at any given point, it's a beginner's mindset that allows you to actually get there. And, and you know, my own personal philosophy is the following, which is I fire myself each day and I rehire myself the next day. And there's a really important aspect of it. When you fire yourself each day, you are letting go of all the successes and failures and other things that happen through the day. And you, you're sort of reborn the next day where you're looking at things very, very fresh and you sort of rehire yourself. You know, and, and it's a very important concept, you know, you know, that I learned from my dad specifically around this, where he would, I mean, you know, you know, hit those reset buttons very, very frequently to make sure that it does not feel like you're, you know, sort of carrying that huge baggage behind you. And 
the concept of, you know, although I've phrased it very differently than my father would have, I'll say to you that it was really that ability to undo the baggage. Example, my mother, after my father's demise, you know, had a very brief mourning period, maybe 10 days, 12 days. But then she said, look here, I have four children to raise and I am going to do everything in my power to be the best parent I can. Now I have to be mom and dad and I'm going to pull all stops. If I need to sell property, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do everything in my power to give the best I can for my children. I'm going to make sure that they never feel that they do not have their father. And I think that, you know, you know, is essentially the ability to hit a reset button because very many people carry the baggage the baggage of the past, and then some imagination of the future, which, you know, has, is yet to arrive. That, I think, you know, you know, I learned the ability to compartmentalize, the ability to basically separate the good from the bad. And that degree of compartmentalization is really what I learned, both from my dad and my mother, that they were able to actually allow us to think with clarity, um, I truly believe the minus is the genius because when you are able to subtract very many things, very many people think augmentation is everything. You, you know, it's, it's augmentation by addition, augmentation by multiplication, things of that nature, augment, augment, augment. But what if you took the reverse? How, you know, how could you not benefit from that? My dad and my mom both really, you know, stood for that. They, they knew how to, how to declutter. And I think that is the single biggest thing that I learned as, you know, as a child from them. And their perpetual optimism. Uh, and, and there are qualitative things. They love for each other, their love for life, the love for the family. All of those things, you know, absolutely meant a lot. And of course, truly, you know, who I am is because of that formative years on what I saw. But those were some of the key takeaways. Yeah, that's that's really astounding. How I just cannot fathom how your mother did that. Do you have? I guess as you reflect, how how was she able to do that? How was she able to go through one of the ultimate tragedies you can experience in life, and then look at look at you four kids and so quickly pick pick herself up and then not just for a season but it it sounds like like you said just on and on and on she she was able to just turn turn the corner and somehow just step up to another level to be mum and dad i i just i find that incredible how did she do that so first of all what i'll say is that you know um anything that you know i think there are two things that happen in my opinion in my humble opinion, that is, you have a DNA, which is who you truly are. And then, of course, there are learned experiences along the way. And I think, you know, the way I see it is, you can segment people in two categories. One is you're optimist or you're a pessimist. An optimist, as we all know, believes that tomorrow is going to be better than today. Then you have a pessimist who believes tomorrow is going to be worse off than today. But in this, Within optimism, you have definite optimists and indefinite optimists. Similarly, in pessimism, you have indefinite pessimism and definite pessimism. In all of this, I'm voting for definite optimists or definite pessimists. A definite pessimist knows tomorrow is going to be bad, but at least makes plans for, oh my God, it's going to be bad, but let me make some plans to make sure that 
I'm sort of mitigating within the downside. I don't hit rock bottom and I have a plan, you know, that actually is going to work. Example, we're planning to go into a recession. Guess what? Make some plans around it. Yeah, it's pessimistic, but you can make some plans to mitigate the downside of a recession as an example. As an optimist, it's also good to be a definite optimist because then you're making plans for tomorrow. You're not thinking that I'm going to somehow win a lottery ticket and be delusional about it. But you really are making plans. My mother, I would say, was really a definite optimist. She truly believed in the capabilities that we as children, she believed that we were the lottery ticket and said, well, you guys are such great. I'm so blessed to have you. This loss exists, but I have all this property. What am I going to do with it? I'm just going to sell them. I'm going to invest in your education. I'm going to make these investments and I'm not going to cut corners on those things. I'm going to give you the best I can pull all stops to make that happen. So she was a definite optimist. And it's that that I think is important, uh, you know, for for myself to, you know, essentially say, well, this is the path. And I think she gave us the degree of clarity that, you know, she gave us hope and clarity, which essentially becomes a flywheel, a flywheel that says, hey, I have this plan. Here's what I want you to do to execute it. I know you're going to go get your MBA, whatever. I'm going to support you, whatever you want. What book do you want? What training do you want? I'll make everything happen. I trust you. And if the definite optimism loop made it possible. If she was an indefinite optimist, thinking that some luck was going to show up from somewhere, then I think we would have had a problem. If she was a pessimist, we would have probably had a different set of things. So out of the four, she chose to be a definite optimist. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. That's so good. Um, thank you. Thank you for unpacking that. I think there's just, oh, that's just um, really blown me away from from your story. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, like I said before, there's so many different things we could jump into. Uh, and just looking at time, I guess if we stick with the theme of, of mentors, you've talked about your parents, but now over your career as an entrepreneur, um, as a as a leader, as a business leader, who are some of the people who've had the most positive impact on you and your leadership in your um, in your career so far? I can, you know, um, you know, I'll say to you that, um, you know, I uh, started my journey uh, in in the mid nineties. There are many people um, that come to you know my life, you know, you know, in terms of. Uh, career uh, mentors. And of course, I look at mentorship in different forms. I think, you know, uh, I study a lot of successful people, unsuccessful people, people who have struggled, uh, gone through difficult things in life. So I've learned a ton from many sources. And it would just be really hard to, you know, you know, you know, put uh, that in front. But I'll say to you that I'm inspired by many, many people. Nelson Mandela, you know, Nelson, Nelson Mandela is one you know, that I think universally, uh, many people would say, you know, is a great leader. And there's probably more consensus on him than others. And, you know, when, when Nelson Mandela was asked a simple question, he said, hey, um, where do you get your leadership style from? He said, you know, my dad. And he was a, happens to be a tribal leader. And what he learned from his dad was essentially the ability to speak last. His, his father would listen to a lot of people and would be the last person to speak. And Nelson Mandela has gone through lots of difficulty and yet stood out, you know, as a, as a real leader. Uh, Abdul Kalam, who, you know, is a president in India, and he definitely stands out. And um, 
And then there are so many, Indra Nui, who you know, used to be the CEO of uh, you know, PepsiCo. That, that list is fairly long. And, uh, and I think you know, there's always good trades that you can get from a lot of folks. Um, you know, um, Dominic Barton, the, the, C, the former managing director of McKinsey, Again, a lot of people that I think I've looked up to. Professionally, I'll say, um, you know, uh, there was an executive uh, by the name Jeff Wigan, who, you know, was one of my early mentors uh, in, in Deloitte. I still look up to him. We're great friends. Uh, we connect on a regular basis. And uh, he's now uh, an SVP in uh, a very large company, uh, Tech Data, uh, Cinex. And um, he's somebody that definitely stands out as a person that has had a lot of influence uh, in me. And of course, I still have a lot of friends, I, you know, who I look up to and learn from. The other big, uh, you know, person that's been a huge influence in my entrepreneurship is my wife. Um, I think, you know, in all the trials and tribulations as an entrepreneur, um, I have absolutely, uh, you know, enjoyed the process of, uh, you know, learning from her especially her undying positivity. Even after, you know, um, the challenge we had with my son's autism, she's never said, why me? She's always said, try me. And it's that ability to say, try me, which is, you know, you know a very, very critical skill. Uh, and, you know, even in any of those things, she's never asked, she said, you know, why do we have this thing? She's always felt that you know, that can-do attitude with a must-do sense of responsibility is something that can happen. And without that support, there is no way I could be here today, you know, you know, gone through the, the 25 years or so with her. Um, and that, you know, portion of challenges, especially being able to see the light in the end of the tunnel was definitely something that I attribute to her. Uh, I also really look up to my father's elder brother, um, who is just an outstanding individual who, you know, sees, uh, he's about 85, uh, but still goes through, goes to many parts of the world, uh, you know, goes, goes to dive spots, whatnot. And he has an undying optimism. Anytime you talk to him, he's absolutely energizing. He's not 85 years, he's 85 years young. He's probably got the energy of 50 year old or less, uh, physically and mentally. And I think those are people I look up to. And of course, you know, I have a very, very successful, uh, you know, family, uh, you know, my brother-in-law, my, um, uh, my eldest brother-in-law, my youngest brother-in-law, my brother, my sisters, um, you know, the list is long. I absolutely adore my family. I think, you know, even my siblings, all of that has played. Even today, we are extremely close. We, uh, we basically are an integral part of each other. We don't view ourselves as distinct families within that. We are still one, uh, you know. So in all of this, this is really, uh, you know, that setup of a family and having a strong family, I think really allows people to sort of spread their wings. I'm always inspired by my colleagues. Um, I'm very deeply inspired by my son who has autism, who has again played a huge role in uh, you know where we are, my daughter is tremendously inspiring because of how she handles her brother each day. So the list is on. Uh, I may may not have done justice to every other person um, that has probably contributed, but there's at least hundreds of people who have made a difference. Yeah, I th I love that perspective that you you look around, and you see so many people in your life who've made a difference. Um, I'd love to ask your advice for listeners who are 
who are going, wow, I, I really love uh, Run Gun's perspective on family. Uh, you know, you are a, an amazing entrepreneur, a great business leader. When it comes to building a family and, and the like you said, the amazing family you have um, and obviously the relationship with your wife, do you have any advice for leaders who are highly... Um, you know, really passionate and driven as leaders, but also want to build a great family. Do you have any advice on how to do both? No, that's a really good one. Um, I'll say to you that uh, the best way to do that is to actually, um, the the way we have done it is, is that, you know, I have to essentially love my spouse more than I love myself. And she does the same. So, in all of this, it's really about putting somebody else ahead of you, um, whether it's my brother, whether it's my sisters, whether it's my mom. If there are bullets flying, I'll stand in front of them or they'll do the same for me if it was bullets flying my way. And I think that's a very important one because I think when you're selfish, you really cannot build a family. You have to somewhere be selfless and you have to believe that the sum of the parts is going to be greater than the individual pieces. In a lot of cases, if you if you optimize, you have to optimize for the sum of the parts, not for the individual parts. And I think that makes a huge difference in um, you know how the pieces sort of come together. That's number one. Number two, I would say that in building a very very strong family, there are lots of advantages because I believe that you know you know the sense of marriage or family you know sort of came from the ability to give you stability it gives you very good it gives you a stable platform to sort of work with and i think the very first thing that i'd say is that it comes down to the degree of partnership that you want to have with all of them but it comes down to whether you choose to be selfish selfish or whether you choose to be selfless and i think it's that ability to sort of expand that view that's really the starting point in my humble opinion yeah, I think that's I think that's a great perspective, um, and I, I'd love to, you know, ask you about your son. And I think, even though this is called leadership conversations, I I think leaders are people. And whenever there's, I can tell that there's a topic or there's something that's really important to someone. I also think it's great for leaders to hear that and to understand. So, if you can tell us a little bit about your journey with. Um, with your son learning about autism and and i guess you know here's a chance for to speak to some lead you know leaders around the world about autism anything you would want leaders in all sectors in all parts of the world to know about autism yeah that's a good one um you know see um with respect to my son the number one thing uh, from an autism standpoint that we have learned is um the power of the now um, we've gone through many, you know, ch you know, every phase brings its own, you know, set of challenges. It brings, um, you know, uh, a set of surprises uh, along the way. However, I'll say my son has been a wonderful child. Overall, you know, very well behaved, you know, when I compare uh, it across the spectrum. However, there are points, there are infliction points. Uh, recently, the last three years, you know, he had, you know, he was growing up, growth hormones, among other you know, variables that led to huge amount of anxiety attacks, things of that nature, where we really had a very, very rough patch. And in all of this, what I'll basically say is, is that 
Um, and, and apparently many autistic children go through that, especially as they go into adolescence and things like that. But in all of this, you know, the, the number one thing is the, again, the ability to compartmentalize. We never um, at any given point said, oh, I need to worry about what happens one week from now or two weeks from now. We really focused on how can we give our absolute best on any given day. So we would, you know, start our day with a plan. End of the day, we would do some reflections, especially Ranjini and I, my wife and I would do those reflections. And at any given point, we will never attribute a problem to him. We'll try to say, how do we, despite whatever the challenges, how do we specifically address it? Rather than, you know, saying why me and worrying about what, you know, what he did or what he, you know, where things exploded, things of that nature, because it's a behavior problem sometimes that you run into. And at any given point, we were able to fortunately have the attitude that we are responsible for it and we somehow need to do something better, different, you know, at any given point. And so that perspective clearly helped. And of course, I'm really, really happy to report that he's doing really well right now and he's probably, you know, in his best phases at the moment. Um, and of course, we're always ready for some surprise to happen down the road. But at the moment, as I give, uh, as I talk to you, he's doing really, really well. And he's always been a source of inspiration for us. To give you one single example of an inspiration, he does rock climbing. And when he does rock climbing, he can actually even uh, beat some of the pros in that space for the simple reason that he stays so focused. He's so focused and wants to be the absolute best in everything he does. And he, again, does not worry about what happened in the last minute, what happens two minutes down the road. He's absolutely not concerned about it. He gives his absolute best. That's a huge inspiration because it actually teaches you how to be in the now, in the moment, and, and sort of concentrate on what you need to do rather than, you know, let your mind go wild in terms of thinking about other things. He is an absolute, you know, in, um, inspiration for perfection and the ability to stay focused and unconditional love. He, he can he can he has an outpouring of love and uh, purity which you know is an absolute blessing and uh, I'll say to you that we are totally blessed you know having him as our child and more importantly my daughter who absolutely reciprocates that you know with him and uh, they're sort of inseparable in a lot of ways she was the best thing that ever happened to him because she came after him and uh, both of them have that kind of love and um, you know god has given him in a, in our life for a purpose and uh, we essentially one big aspiration of being an entrepreneur is to make a lot of money so that i can make a big difference in the life of other autistic children we have a foundation called autism zero and i'm really really hoping that we can make a huge impact he can be the role model for the world you know along with his sister and we can make a huge huge impact this life is only about an impact it's about a consequential impact we can make to society i only have one goal I just want to be a better human being. I just want to be a good human being. And I think, you know, any professional success is, um, you know, um, a, a table with no legs. If it really doesn't translate into an impact you can make to society, I think we are all born to make an impact. And we cannot afford to be externally validated to make that happen. You have to be internally validated. 
And one of the things that teaches you is to be internally validated than externally validated. And that's a huge, huge, huge power to have. And you also again, you know, here again, I'll mention family, whether it's my brother-in-laws, my sisters, my brother, you know, my sister-in-law, all of these people, my cousins, the, the list is long. All I can say is, is that these people, you know, have been our support system, you know, and you sort of need that. And a symbiotic relationship that it maintains allows you to really, you know, cross that. And uh, any problem, you know, is solvable as long as you grow in size relative to the problem. Very many problems stand in our way because you happen to be smaller than the size of the problem. And what this has done is it's given us that anti-fragility to essentially grow in size about the problem and sort of love the challenge in some ways and just laugh about it, smile about it and embrace it. Wow. <laughs> so much good stuff there. And uh, I love your passion for everything you just mentioned. So thank you so much for sharing. And um, we will, after Leadership Express, I'll make sure that people can get in contact with you and, and uh, if they are wanting to learn more about anything, uh, because I think there'll be a lot of people listening in who maybe they feel there's a great uh, connection with some of your passions, um, whether it be working with uh, your, your company exactly. or um, supporting, um, you know, supporting your charity. Uh, so yeah, wonderful. Thank you for sharing. Let, let's jump into Leadership Express as we land today. The first question, Rangan, I want to ask you, um, can you think of a book that you have gifted to other people or recommended a lot to other people? There are many, but I'll just probably name the top three, you know, for the lack of a better word. Um, one is the book called Different from Young Me Moon. The other is Made to Stick, uh, which is a really, really, really good book. And the other one, I would say, is Subtract, uh, just to give you the top three. Love it. Wonderful. Can you just say uh, the titles again for everyone? Uh, the first one is Different uh, by Young Me Moon. The second one would be Made to Stick. Third is Subtract uh, by Lady Clothes. Oh, I love it. Yeah, they're great recommendations. Thank you. I've just been recently listening to um, something by uh, Chip. Is it Chip and Dan Heath who wrote Made to Stick? Uh, yeah, uh, one of their other books. I love their work. Uh, so, yeah, wonderful recommendations. Um, next question for you. What's a great piece of advice you've received at some point? Someone gave you great advice and it's stuck in your mind. The... Um... The, the best one, you know, is, um, you know, um, what does not kill you, you know, makes you stronger. And, uh, you know, of course, when you when you have hit, uh, when you get hit very, very hard, um, you know, in certain infliction points, um, you know, and I've had that. And, um, you know, the ability to actually and one of the reasons why we are called resilience as a company is because naturally you know, resilience means the ability to bounce back you know it's the ability to you know you know you know sort of leave your um, you know challenges and sort of come out of it and and from an advice standpoint i mean you know obviously you know um, advice comes to you indirectly directly and whatnot but the one that uh, you know stands out is you know what you know my mom said after my father's death is that um, 
you know, I just want you to just go after your dreams. Don't, you know, uh, you know, hold yourself back because of this situation. So she basically said, you know, I'll support you in whatever you want to do. You know, you know, I can do even more than what your father can do because, you know, I'll make sure that I'm compensating for that. And um, she gave us that confidence to, to go after anything. You know, she, she didn't really define it by any social parameters. She said, you know, you, you just be, bring out your best. And uh, so, you know, India is a very social country. And, you know, so people get very externally validated, at least back in the days, um, you know. And I'll say that it's in a large society that tends to happen. There's nothing wrong with it, but, you know, it, is a, it, it has its pros and cons. But so she didn't allow us to get socially validated. She allowed us to move forward. The second one, which is, you know, when I had to, you know, decide whether I should continue being an entrepreneur. When you hit a snag, you have to figure out, you know, oh, can I continue this? You, you, you have this confidence challenge that you have to go through and you have to make those questions. Whether you have it or not, you have to question it. My wife really, you know, Ranjini just did not, you know, for the moment pause. She said, you know, you just stay on course you'll be fine. I mean, you know, it's a matter of time before we, you know, completely come out of the other end much, much stronger. And uh, I'll say to you, those are the two major, uh, you know, ones. There's many along the way, but uh, these, these, these matter a lot. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, what about when it comes to one-on-one -on -one meetings? This comes up a lot. Leaders want to know how they can run better one-on-ones with direct reports. Do you have any tips to run a great one-on-one -on -one meeting? Number one thing, uh, as a leader, our role is not to um, belittle anybody. Um, I think we have to remember that you have to be a servant leader. And in order to do really, really well, I think the, the first objective thing that one does is our job is to inspire and, uh, you know, sort of bring out and unleash, uh, you know, the strengths that somebody has. So at any given point, whether it's a one-on-one -on -one or whether it's any interaction, our single biggest priority has to be able to inspire people around us. And it, you know, in my humble opinion, it cannot even be limited to say a one-on-one. -on -one. It is every, you know, interaction has to somehow energize somebody. And I think it's super important that for that, you have to have a lot of passion. You have to have a lot of energy. And more importantly, you have to have the ability to energize others. I think that's what a leader does. The, the leader actually is an enabler and, and has to find ways and means to energize. And when there is a problem, let's say there's a performance problem with somebody, do not assume that that person has to be fired. The person has to be, you know, you know, badly treated. There are circumstances in people's life that you have to sort of probe into to see if there is something else that's going on to, to, to change that. The other thing that I constantly do is start asking difficult questions when I have a new person joining the team who's still not, you know, ramping up or whatever. The question I ask the team is, how can we create an environment for them? And let's analogous to how, you know, a tree gets accommodated by the soil. You know, what's the soil that we can create for these people so that they can actually thrive? And if, if it doesn't happen, it's because I've not created the soil. Because I truly, truly believe that if you have interviewed this person, I've gone through the motions of screening them and filtering them and bringing them on. There's something there, you know, that you're that you look that you've seen in this person. And if you don't manifest it in your environment, it's not just their problem. It's as much your problem. I think it's 
being able to view this as a partnership, not as a positional authority that, oh, I'm the employer, I happen to be the boss, you know, you know, you know, your shit, this and that, that I don't believe works. What really works is a tireless ability to put emphasis on the effort, specifically the effort that we take as an organization to, to nurture that. And in that, you, you know, I truly believe in this. I give, and then after this, if I truly believe in the potential of the person, I give them what I call a short rope. The short rope means that I will give timely feedback so that they can up their game, feedback in a way that is constructive. And because they are better than that. And the goal is to give them a short rope so that they can come out. Because when I give them a long rope, that means that they're going to use a long rope potentially to suicide. I don't want that. I want to make sure that you're not only creating an environment, but you're, you're going to give them timely advice and feedback to, to up their game in a way that they you know, are able to sort of awaken themselves as well. And, and again, that advice is tailored to the bar that is set. Because in every situation, there is a bar and you have to keep raising that bar. And you have to calibrate whether the person can achieve it because everybody at some level wants to perform well. And um, you just go after that to unleash it and make them believe God's given given gift is your potential. What you do with your potential is your gift back to him. So that's the model. So an employer has hired you for you know the purpose and that's the potential that they have you know, needs to be the thank you, you know, for that paycheck or employment or whatever. So, and you, you have to genuinely care about the person. I think when you genuinely care about somebody, you make it work. It happens. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, I think the, like you said, that other style is just, um, not only outdated, but I think it's, it's been superseded. It doesn't work. It just does not work as human beings. We don't, respond to the uh, the carrot and the stick and the uh, autocratic you know we don't respond to that in any way compared to when someone believes in us cares for us and creates an environment for us to grow and yes challenges us but no i, I love what you said there i think that's i think that's gold um what about favorite questions do you have any questions you love to ask you're sitting one-on-one -on -one with a with a potential hire you're with a group of stakeholders you're running a workshop um are there any questions that you find yourself asking yeah see um the um the questions that i i love to you know really ask is the ability um you know to see curiosity or validate how somebody is curious so i you know I'm, I'm i'm my questions or how i sort of enjoy the process of any form of interaction is intellectual curiosity and at the core of it um you know that's the part i really really love and i think when you when you when you underlying thing happens to be curiosity you have almost an infinite possibilities because you can be curious about many things and you know you can actually have a blast even in a social interaction and uh, you can be you know you can enjoy you know um, understanding more about you know certain aspects whether that's science whether it's people whether it is you know art whether it's cars houses the topics are endless 
And uh, for me, it's all about intellectual curiosity. So I relate to people through that process. Uh, and that's the model I follow. Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, I think you said that really well. Uh, okay, last question. If you could only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader, what would you say? Um, I've had the scenarios happen uh, in my life where, you know, I help somebody, they come to me and say, thank you, you've made a difference. The next thing I say is instead of you thanking me or the way you thank me is go do this for four other people. And when they come back to thank you, basically tell them to do the same, go and do it for four other people. And this way, when I help one person, I've quadrupled it. Every time that interaction happens, you at least have a chance of quadrupling it. That's number one. Number two, I truly believe that at every given point, so if someone asks me, so next year, you know, what will you be at? I'll say I'm probably going to be 400 to 4,000% better or more. 400 to 4,000% looks pretty darn big and looks unrealistic. It's actually not. All I have to do is improve every single day by 1% to 10%. 10% um, being the best. You know, I'm using a double-digit number. It could be even 20%. So you could have a double-digit increase per day in terms of how you grow. You grow intellectually and you grow in terms of capability. The least is 1%. So even if you just are a slacker, you can get to 400% in one year. So in my opinion, people have to look at how they improve. That could be even, I'm going to be a better human being tomorrow than I am today. Each, each aspect can be improved and improve everything we touch. Those would be the two things. Yeah, that's so good. Thank you so much uh, for sharing that advice. Improve everything we touch is a, is a wonderful thought. And I think if we all did that, there'd be, uh, like you said, that 400 to 4,000% improvement. I love that idea. Um, so good. For those who have really enjoyed today and would love to follow you on social media or connect with you, maybe they are a, uh, they want to find out about resilience, maybe they want to support your charity, how can people connect with you and your organizations online? LinkedIn is uh, probably the number one. Uh, my own email address is rangan, R-A-N, G-H-A-N at resilience.com, R-E-Z-I-L-Y-E-N-S.com. Uh, they can reach me directly at resilience, uh, rangan at resilience.com. They can go to my LinkedIn handle, Rangan Venkatraman, R-A-N-G-H-A-N. Last name is Venkatraman, B as in Victor, E-N-K-A-T-R-A-M-A-N. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Well, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. What a fun episode. Just really meaningful stories. And um, for me, it's really reminded me, uh, I think of that, um, I think that that optimism um, is infectious. And so I'm, <laughs> I feel like I've caught some of that from Rangan as well today. Um, but don't forget for our listeners, you can also tune into the John O'White Leadership Podcast and the Leadership Question of the Day Podcast, two other places you can go to invest in your leadership. But I want to finish today by saying a massive thank you to you, Rangan, for being so generous with your time, uh, for sharing your wisdom and being a joy to spend time with. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Juno. It has been an absolute pleasure. Loved every bit of it. Thank you for your uh, questions. Um, it's made me also think a little harder uh, about those things and sort of dig it up from my own head. Uh, unless someone asks you, sometimes you just don't even ponder over it. 
thank you so much. And thanks to all the folks who have actually made a difference in my life, um, my family, my friends, my mentors, uh, and other mentors that don't even know me. You know, So I have a lot of people to thank. And um, thank you for the time that you've taken to have this. Look forward to more with you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57 page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage consultclarity.org right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders. And you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this. I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, John O. White, or Clarity, and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even if You Hate Conflict. 
I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in step up or step out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.